Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Sue Biamba. Let's take a look at our top stories. The future of two chemical abortion drugs hangs in the balance. Attorneys General square off over the FDA's approval of a mail-order pill. Three unidentified flying objects over Canada shot down over the weekend. Various lawmakers are now demanding more insight into what exactly happened. As for the Chinese spy balloon, the question now turns to who made it. Was it a civilian craft, as China claims? Some reports from China may shed light on this. More rescue miracles in Turkey. Search teams find people alive after more than 150 hours, and the government is now investigating over 130 contractors for poor construction of buildings. News from abortion battles are taking place across the nation. Dozens of Democratic and Republican attorneys general are taking sides in a legal case. The outcome could decide the future of two chemical abortion drugs in the U.S. Entity's Daniel Monahan has the story. The conservative advocacy group Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine filed the lawsuit last November in Texas. It accuses the FDA of ignoring science and law when it evaluated and approved mifepristone and misoprostol in 2000. The alliance claims the FDA never studied the safety of the drugs under the labeled conditions of use. It also alleges the FDA disregarded the potential negative effects the hormone-blocking regimen has on young pregnant women. The combination of the two drugs remains the most common abortion method nationwide. It accounts for about half of all U.S. abortions. Mifepristone can now be ordered from certified retail pharmacies by mail based on a new FDA rule. Democratic and Republican attorneys general are debating over the fate of the drug. A coalition of 22 attorneys general led by Democrat Letitia James of New York has asked the court to toss the case. They claim that withdrawing federal approval for mifepristone would block millions of people from so-called safe abortion care. James shared her personal experience with abortion last May. And I was faced with the decision whether to have an abortion or not. And I chose to have an abortion. I walked proudly into Planned Parenthood. Another coalition, also consisting of 22 attorneys general, is led by Republican Lynn Fitch of Mississippi. They are seeking to terminate the new abortion pill-by-mail rule. Fitch says current federal criminal law plainly prohibits the distribution of abortion-inducing drugs through the mail. There are some federal laws that prohibit yeah, yeah, the abortion pills. That, I mean, yeah. we will certainly be in enforcing and upholding the, the laws. The Republicans argue that states are entitled to enforce their own laws regulating chemical abortion. They claim the federal government is trying to evade those state laws. Meanwhile, the FDA says there is no precedent where a court has second-guessed FDA's safety and efficacy determination. The legal challenge comes as major retail store chains like CVS and Walgreens are seeking certification to sell mifepristone in person and by mail. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. The U.S. military shot down another unidentified object yesterday. The Pentagon says it was shaped like an octagon and flying over Lake Huron at around 20,000 feet. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg took a closer look at what U.S. officials say is the fourth object shot down in eight days. Pentagon officials say the object was first tracked near Montana on Saturday. U.S. Air Force General Glenn Van Herc says two F-15 fighter jets were scrambled when it approached the U.S. border from Canada. 
Van Herc is head of North American Aerospace Defense Command, or NORAD. He says pilots lost track of the object when night fell. It was shot down Sunday over Lake Huron on the U.S.-Canada border by a U.S. F-16 fighter jet after being tracked across Wisconsin. Van Herc says it's likely to have fallen into Canadian waters and that recovery efforts are underway. He says the military has not been able to identify what the three most recent objects are, how they stay aloft, or where they are coming from, and that they are calling them objects, not balloons, for a reason. On Saturday, an American F-22 Raptor intercepted an unidentified object that Canada's defence minister described as cylindrical in nature. With further analysis, we will know more and be able to provide you with more details. It was shot down over Canada's central Yukon Territory at an altitude of around 40,000 feet. Both President Biden and Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau ordered the move. An unidentified object uh, entered unlawfully Canadian airspace. Uh, it represented a reasonable threat to civilian aircraft. Just one day earlier, an American F-22 took down an unidentified object near Dead Horse, Alaska. Some pilots reportedly said Friday's object interfered with their sensors. A defense official that spoke on the condition of anonymity said the military has not seen any evidence of the objects being extraterrestrial. Military officials say the mystery objects shot down Friday and Saturday were significantly smaller than the Chinese spy balloon recently brought down off the coast of South Carolina. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. U.S. officials are still trying to determine if China is responsible for the objects. North American security forces are on high alert for airborne threats since the downing of the Chinese spy balloon. Officials say the three most recent objects are not consistent with the fleet of the Chinese surveillance balloons that have targeted more than 40 countries. More unidentified objects shot out of the air over the weekend. Now lawmakers say they're left with more questions than answers. The U.S. military and NORAD shot down another undisclosed object over Lake Huron on Sunday, after downing two other objects on Friday and Saturday. Counting the Chinese spy balloon, that's the fourth object over North America in just a bit more than a week. Various lawmakers are now reacting. The Biden administration didn't specify whether the fourth object was related to the previous three or if it's connected to the Chinese Communist Party. Representative Alyssa Slotkin, a Democrat from Michigan, seeks more answers, saying, as long as these things keep traversing the U.S. and Canada, I'll continue to ask for Congress to get a full briefing based on our exploitation of the wreckage. Republican Senator of Montana Steve Daines says the lack of communication from the Biden administration regarding the closing of Montana airspace last night and the recent shootdowns that took place over Alaska and Canada is unacceptable. The top priority of the administration should be the safety and security of the people of the United States and keeping the American people informed is a key part of fulfilling that duty. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, on the other hand, expresses confidence. The military and intelligence community are laser-focused on gathering information and coming up with an assessment. You can be sure if any U.S. interests or people are at risk, they'll take appropriate action. And Republican Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin comments, I appreciate DOD's notification of the actions they took in downing yet another foreign object over Lake Huron. Maximum transparency on what they learn about these objects is essential. 
Florida Senator Marco Rubio chimed in saying, the last 72 hours revealed to the public what has been happening for years, unidentified aircraft routinely operating over restricted U.S. airspace. This is why I pushed to take this seriously and created a permanent UAP task force two years ago. The Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force is an office investigating unidentified flying objects. Senators are set to receive a classified briefing about the objects this week on Wednesday. NTD reached out to the Department of Defense for comment but didn't immediately hear back. As for the identified spy balloon that entered the U.S. airspace, China says it was for civilian use, but it doesn't say which company made it. NTD's Tiffany Meyer brings us more on the story. Questions about the Chinese spy balloon are shifting. Officials now asking exactly who made it. Reports on the subject from China are raising eyebrows. Beijing insists that the downed balloon was a civilian airship for weather research. But the Chinese regime never specified which firm it belonged to. An article found on Chinese internet portal NetEase lists a number of companies, all of them capable of building unmanned airships. These include autonomous aircraft developer Yihang, China's largest weather balloon producer, Zhuzhou Rubber Research and Design Institute, drone manufacturer Dajiang, and wireless tech maker Parrot. Both Yihang and Parrot advertise themselves as civil military integration enterprises, meaning they work closely with the Chinese military. What's more, Dajiang is deemed a military company and has long been sanctioned by the United States. Another article exposed alleged links between the Zhuzhou Rubber Research and Design Institute and the Chinese Army. The institute has reportedly obtained licenses for weapons research and production. It also took orders from the General Armament Department, the agency in charge of arming China's National Army, known as the PLA. The article, titled A Brief History of Wandering Balloons, was quickly scrubbed from the Internet. But according to public information, the Zhuzhou Institute is also a designated supplier to the Joint Staff Department of the PLA. Coming up, the U.S. is telling its citizens to leave Russia immediately. The Kremlin says it's not the first time the U.S. has issued such orders. Koreans look for closure from World War II grievances with Japan. Some want the bodies of those killed in an underwater mine returned. We have that and more just after this break. Welcome back. The U.S. has told its citizens to leave Russia immediately due to the war in Ukraine. It also cites the risk of arbitrary arrest or harassment by the Russian law enforcement agencies. The Kremlin said it was not the first time U.S. citizens had been asked to leave Russia. The last such public warning was in September after President Vladimir Putin ordered a partial mobilization. The U.S. Embassy in Moscow said in a statement, quote, Russian security services have arrested U.S. citizens on spurious charges, singled out U.S. citizens in Russia for detention and harassment, denied them fair and transparent treatment, and convicted them in secret trials or without presenting credible evidence. The Federal Security Service said in January that prosecutors had opened a criminal case against a United States citizen on suspicion of espionage. Last December, U.S. basketball star Brittany Griner was released in a prisoner swap 
She had been sentenced to nine years in a penal colony for possessing vape cartridges containing cannabis oil after a judicial process labelled a sham by Washington. Meanwhile, former US Marine Paul Whelan is serving a 16-year sentence in a Russian penal colony after being convicted of what Washington says are fictitious espionage charges. It's been a week since the devastating earthquake in Turkey and Syria, and rescue teams are still finding survivors under the rubble. The death toll is now over 30,000. Turkey has launched an investigation into building contractors. Antidis Kostemenes has the details. More people, many of them children, are still being pulled from the debris. The search for survivors is now in its seventh day. With the hope of finding more getting slimmer every day, the tragic earthquake has claimed over 30,000 lives. A little girl was saved in Hatay 150 hours after being buried. Also in Hatay, dramatic footage shows rescue workers pull out a 10-year-old girl and carry her away on a stretcher. A 44-year-old man in Karaman Maras was rescued after over 160 hours of being trapped. And firefighters rescued an 85-year-old from a collapsed building on Sunday. Entire towns and cities have been reduced to rubble. According to Turkish authorities, about 80,000 people have been hospitalized. More than one million are in temporary shelters. Turkey said on Sunday that a thorough investigation will be launched into anyone suspected of being responsible for the collapse of buildings. Turkey's construction codes, despite meeting current earthquake engineering standards on paper, are rarely enforced. Vice President Fuad Oktay said more than 130 suspects have so far been identified. The detention of over 100 suspects has been ordered. Arrests have already begun. Several contractors were arrested at Istanbul airport when trying to leave the country on Sunday. According to the Justice Ministry, seven others were detained. Another seven were barred from leaving Turkey. Kost MNS, NTD News. Now over to Asia. South Korea and Japan are trying to settle some historic issues as relations between the two countries thaw. The families of Korean men drafted decades ago to support Japan's war effort see a last chance for closure. John Sok-ho vividly remembers the morning when at just eight years old he lost his father. He was one of 136 Koreans killed when an undersea coal mine off Japan's southern coast collapsed and flooded in 1942. He had been drafted, like so many other Koreans, to support Japan's war effort towards the end of its 1910 to 1945 occupation of the Korean peninsula. 47 Japanese were also killed in the mine. Decades after the disaster, and now aged 89, John is still looking for closure and hopes his father's remains will be returned. I can't tell you how devastated I am. It was really heartbreaking because I lost my father just like that. I was telling people, my father died, my father died. I was so sad. Since he took office last year, South Korea's president, Yoon Suk-yul, has sought to settle historic issues with Japan and has already met with Tokyo's leader. Those discussions raised the hopes of people like John that their relatives' bodies could soon be recovered. But any such attempt would be complicated and costly. The Chose mine extended at least one kilometer out to sea and nearly 40 meters underground. Japan's labor ministry told Reuters the cost of an excavation would likely run into millions of US dollars. 
Campaigners argue it is a price worth paying to recognize the hardship and injustice that families endured. They held a memorial for the victims in Japan's Ube earlier this month. Yan Hyun is the chairman of the South Korean Bereaved Families Association. He's also a nephew of one of the victims. The collapse incident at the Chose coal mine was not an accident, but a predicted man-made disaster. After the Pacific War broke out, the then-Japanese government pushed ahead with the Chose mine operation to increase coal output to support the war, even though it was in violation of a ban on undersea mining. According to South Korean government estimates, the remains of as many as 10,000 Koreans are still in Japan. They died in forced labor, digging mines or building dams. Still to come, the Kansas City Chiefs win Super Bowl 57. Patrick Mahomes threw two touchdown passes in the fourth quarter and scrambled 26 yards on the go-ahead drive. But the game was still tied with eight seconds left. Colombia's flower industry struggles to find dedicated young workers ahead of Valentine's Day. We'll have the details soon when we return. Patrick Mahomes proves why he is the NFL's most valuable player. The star quarterback shrugged off an ankle injury to lead the Kansas City Chiefs to a dramatic 38-35 win over the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday. The win marks their second Super Bowl in four years. NCD's Daniel Monahan brings us more. Chiefs, Red Kingdom, let's go! Kansas City's hopes of returning home with the Lombardi Trophy looked bleak late in the opening half. Mahomes appeared to re-injure the right ankle that had been a major worry coming into the game. It felt great until I, I, I kind of rolled it a little bit. I mean, it didn't feel good, but I was going to leave it all out there, and uh, I, I'm glad it was enough for the win. Grimacing in pain after a tackle, Mahomes hobbled off the field and slammed his helmet to the turf. The Chiefs headed into halftime trailing 24-14. Chiefs head coach Andy Reid was asked what he said to the team at halftime. It's just a matter of straightening out a couple things, and um, the guys always believe. They never don't believe. Um, they always think they're in the game. When the teams returned after the break, a resilient Mahomes produced a heroic effort. He tossed two fourth-quarter touchdowns and engineered a final drive to set up Harrison Butker's 27-yard game-winning field goal with eight seconds to play. Mahomes compared this Super Bowl win with his first victory in the big game. This one, you've dealt with failure. You understand how hard it is uh, to get back on this stage. Kansas City fans reacted to the victory. The people here, the fans here, the people in the Midwest of Kansas City, I mean, you can't beat it. It's, it's the greatest city in the world, it's the greatest team in the world. While this fan says Mahomes' one-legged performance has earned the quarterback a hallowed title. MVP, baby. MVP, MVP, that's all I got to say. If he's not the go right now, the debate is over. The, the debate is over. One way. Come on. A controversial holding call in the final minutes with the game all tied deprived fans of a final Hail Mary drive by Philadelphia. The penalty gave the Chiefs a first down and allowed Kansas City to milk out the clock. The Chiefs won the game on a close-range field goal. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. As Valentine's Day approaches, Colombia needs flower workers. An older workforce is struggling to compensate for a lack of younger talent in the field. 
According to the Observatory of Economic Complexity, Colombia is the second biggest flour exporter in the world, with a $1.4 billion industry in figures from 2020. But the country is struggling to keep up with itself and bring new generations into the flour workforce. Our workforce is getting older. I'm sad that every week our best workers, the most committed ones with the most experience, are retiring. Bring youth into the business is not easy. We cannot find youth who want to work, who commit. The flower business depends on Valentine's Day for a large portion of profits, so a strained workforce ahead of a huge revenue generator is a serious issue. That is why many businesses close, because Valentine's Day generates money for the year's budget. If there is no workforce to work with, they resort to older workers and sometimes to retirees by giving them the opportunity to work during the season. For seasonal flower workers like Blanca, the monthly salary is around the minimum wage, the equivalent of $242. In the past, Colombia's florists have been accused of paying low wages, having bad working conditions and requiring long hours. Sí, de un tiempo para acá. For a while, it's been difficult to get workers, especially in the high seasons. During Valentine's and Mother's Day seasons, we need another 20,000 people, besides the 200,000 people who directly or indirectly work in the production of flowers. That is where we face the biggest difficulties. According to Asoco Flores, Colombian producers exported 320,000 flowers in 2022. That's up 20 percent compared to 2021. You don't have to break your piggy bank to eat healthy. And today's Gina Marie tells us some of the best and the least expensive nutrient-dense foods. Here's Strong Mind and Body. Superfoods can be expensive and hard to get, so we've come up with seven cheap superfoods that can be found at the supermarket or farmer's market. Number one on the list is apples. Apples are an economical and nutritious snack or dessert. They are loaded with vitamins, minerals and fiber. One thing to note is that apples are heavily sprayed with pesticides, so choose organic whenever possible. If not, thoroughly wash and peel conventional apples. Number two on the list is bananas. Organic and conventionally grown bananas are highly affordable. They're a great source of potassium, calcium, manganese, magnesium, iron, folate, niacin, and B6. Bananas are a highly portable snack, as you know, and are great in smoothies, cereal bowls, banana muffins, banana bread, and banana pancakes. They can also help you to fall asleep if you're having trouble. Number three is berries. All berries are rich in potent antioxidants, but they can be a bit pricey. One way to keep costs low is to buy frozen. Enjoy them year-round in smoothies, muffins, fruit salads, cereal and yogurt toppings or by themselves. Number four is cabbage. The cruciferous veggie is economical to buy and delicious to eat. All you need to do is chop it, boil it or steam it and add a pinch of salt and butter. Cabbage has shown promise in preventing some types of cancer and type 2 diabetes. It's a good source of vitamins C and K as well as fiber. Red cabbage offers unique antioxidant and anti-inflammatory properties, so be sure to rotate. Take nutrition to the next level and make or buy authentic sauerkraut or kimchi. These are probiotic power foods. Number five is lentils. The high protein content of these pulses make them a low cost animal protein alternative. 
Lentils save you time as well as money because you don't need to soak them first and they cook really quickly. They're also rich in fiber, iron, magnesium, zinc, and antioxidants. Number six is oats. You can hardly beat oats when it comes to being inexpensive, nutritious, easy to prepare and versatile. Oats provide calcium, protein, iron and potassium. Select steel cut oats or rolled oats when possible. You'll want to avoid instant products that have added sugars. Number seven is red beans. Of all the beans you can buy, red beans and kidney beans are tops when it comes to antioxidant content. Beans are not only inexpensive, but they're also incredibly versatile. Enjoy these red wonders in chili, salads, soups, salsa, burritos, spreads, stews, and rice or other grains. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to put our email on screen. We'd love to hear from you. For podcasters, that's newsstartoday at ntd.com. I'm Sue Biamba, NTD News, New York City. Mm -hmm.